This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, good morning. Uh, we're getting ready for the new year. Good morning, Mom. Yes, we are. So uh, it can be a tough time for people. Uh, Christmas has been, you know, pretty exhausting but fun, don't you think? Well, I think it's I think it's fun for some people. I think Christmas and Hanukkah are really, really difficult as well. Because, you know, when you don't have your children and your siblings there, you, you kind of remember past holidays, and it's, it can be a really, really stressful time for people. Yeah, it can. And it's exhausting. I remember the first year after Scott died, it was a... A tough year, and uh, and I was really tired. And in some ways, I was kind of uh, proud of myself that we got through it. But uh, you know, that's kind of how it goes. Then, well, Heidi, with I don't even remember the first year because I was in a fog. But I remember the second year. You asked all of us if we wanted to do something different, and I think we went we went to Hawaii the second year. It was great. Got out of our routine, and that was kind of a relief since Scott wasn't there. Yeah, so uh, different things, and uh, we hope people are doing well. Well, we've got a great guest on today, um, Dr. Louis Gamino, and it's going to be great to have him on because he's done a lot of research and work, and he's also a bereaved parent, so he's going to give us some wonderful ideas about adapting during the new year and some ideas that we can have. And um, so, Heidi, do you want to say something about uh, Dr. Gamino? Yes, I do. Cause he, like, like you said, Mom, he's, he's worked in the field for a long time. He's a clinical psychologist. He works for Scott and White Healthcare in Texas. And he's also an associate professor at Texas A&M in the College of Medicine. So we are excited to have him on. And we all met him at ADAC last year. Right, which to remind people is the Association of Death Educators, a, a great organization. Well, uh, Lewis, welcome to the show. Welcome, Thank you Lewis. very much. And I appreciate your kind words. I sure hope I can live up to that during this program. Well, I'm sure you will. Now, we were talking a little bit before we uh, went live about um, uh, the loss that you had in your life, you and your wife. you want to tell us a little uh, bit something about that? I'd be happy to. Uh, My wife Marla and I lost an infant baby in 1997 who lived just a matter of a few minutes because of a very uh, complex medical condition called trisomy 8 which is uh, a genetic disorder um, and little boys in particular that have this hardly ever survive uh, because of massive heart defects. So we found out in the 15th week of pregnancy that our baby probably would not live uh, but for personal and spiritual reasons we chose to continue with the pregnancy and uh, our little boy Anthony died about an hour after he was born. Oh wow, so you were able to hold him wow. and see him and... We did. We had, of course, we had named him before, had chosen a name, but we did have an opportunity mm. to see him, to hold him, and in our religious uh-huh. tradition, baptism is important, and we were able to accomplish that. Uh, we were able to take pictures, and because it was a planned birth, uh, relatives, including our uh, two living children at the time, were able to be there and be part of that. Wow. And- wow, that's amazing. That sounds, that sounds really powerful and very emotional. Now, well, a, you can hear the emotion in my voice, so it's quavering a little bit. Uh, so even yeah. after all these years, it it, it 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 brings up some vibrations, yes. Right, absolutely. And and in a way, those vibrations are a good thing because it, it puts us in touch with 
those loved ones that we've lost. And, you know, sometimes people ask me, wow, you know, it's been like 27 years and you still get that quiver in your voice. And to me, wow, that, that's, I wouldn't want to lose that quiver because that's kind of uh, being in touch. So I wanted to ask you, uh, Lewis, when you talk about this, I know we've got a lot of men out there who, um, you know, have had their wives have miscarriages or stillbirths or whatever. And I wanted to ask you, is it different for men than you think for women? And how did you deal with it? And, and what happens with couples? Wow. Okay. That's about three questions in one there. Uh, <laughs> uh, as, as far as the men versus women, uh, you know, there's uh, a difference I would put above the gender difference, which is the individual difference. Uh, I, I think we all are our unique persons. And so naturally, there's going to be some differences in how any two people handle a situation, um, husband and wife, male, female, whatever. So I'm a little hesitant to uh, assign something to one gender or another specifically, but there's always differences uh, in every family. So, of course, the key to that is communication and being able to uh, convey to your partner or to your family member or friend what your experience is and being open to listening and trying to appreciate what theirs is and then where possible trying to coordinate that. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I, when you I were thank talking, you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say I was thinking about the women actually carrying the baby too, particularly some of our guests have said with miscarriage. Um, it, it seems to be maybe more profound for the person that's carrying it in that there's some, even some hormonal changes and things that are going on can be tough. Well, absolutely. Uh, in our own case, um, because Marla had our child growing within her, she could feel him and feel the changes in ways that, you know, the father never can. Uh, so, during the pregnancy, I think our son was more of a physical reality for her and, and maybe more of an intellectual reality for me. That, that's how it mm-hmm. played out in our situation. Um, because of the nature of his disorder, there was very little of the usual movements and uh, what they call the quickening and stuff like that. So whereas fathers can often put their hand or ear to uh, the woman's abdomen and sometimes hear or feel what's going on in there, we didn't have much opportunity for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I, I was probably in more of an intellectual mode because of that. Now, I know you've done some research on um, on stillbirth and that kind of thing. We want to talk about that. Uh, and you've also written a book, When Your Baby Dies Through Miscarriage or Stillbirth, and, and you had a co-author. Do you want to mention that and about the book? Because I'm thinking uh, yes, when you're uh, talking about it, let me say one more word, that I would think that this might have been a way, writing this book and doing this research, would be a way for you to really take a look at your experience, too. Absolutely. Uh, it certainly was. Um, and being a, a psychologist and a writer, there was clearly therapeutic value for me in conveying some of this. Although the book is not just about our story. That comprises only a very small part of it. And uh, my co-author, uh, Ann Taylor Cooney, who's uh, a career uh, obstetrical nurse who's worked in labor and delivery for her entire nursing career, uh, we worked on the book together and tried to make it broad enough that it, it went beyond any one individual story, in, in, including my own, um, about what people can do at that particular moment. Um, I'm not sure where you want me to go next. Well, what, what, recommend, or, what recommendations would you have uh, where people can go, you know, after that? What, what do people need to do? 
Well, let's let's go back to that moment of birth, or even if it turns out to be a miscarriage, which can be a very confusing situation. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the important things is acknowledging the reality um, that this is an event that happened. Uh, people have different ways of defining when a life began, but if your tradition supports uh, seeing this pregnancy as a life, that needs to be acknowledged and embraced, uh, and that can be done through talking to people about it, uh, naming the child. Uh, if you have a chance to hold the child, uh, which sometimes there's reluctance for that, uh, I think these things are very important because it gives you the concrete experience of what really went on. Uh, in our case, we had the luxury of being able to take photographs and uh, footprints and things of this nature, as well as having some time to interact uh, as best we could in kind of a one-sided way. So all of those kind of things at the moment when it's happening, um, now part of the problem is that the bereaved person is often stunned, um, maybe not fully aware of what's going on, and it really makes a difference if the care providers and people surrounding uh, if it's parents, the bereaved couple, uh, giving them a little bit of guidance as to what the possibilities are at the time. Yeah, one of the problems, I think, is people don't know what their options are. And if they don't have uh, people guiding them, or if you've got a husband and wife who are in disagreement about, you know, getting that involved or whatever, um, I'm sure it can be difficult. That's well, right. One of the stories... Um, Go ahead, Heidi, and then we'll have Lucy. Well, I just wanted to say that, that I've had, I had two miscarriages, and, and Lewis, you were saying something that really resonated with me when you said it can be very confusing with miscarriages because when, I mean, I was in the first trimester for both, but I knew I was pregnant. And, you know, there's not a lot of support, and it is a very unacknowledged loss. And you do, you know, you have bonded because you were pregnant, but there's not a lot of support out there. And I love that you wrote this book about this topic, because I don't think there's enough out there about it. Well, it, it, that's right, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, the, the ambiguity of it and, and being uncertain, and of course people's value systems enter into that, including those of the mm -hmm. care providers around the person. Uh, just maybe a quick example is uh, another case in the book was of uh, a couple that had a full-term child, and it was the birth complications and an infection actually that took the child's life within about 24 hours. Uh, wow. The father who was, because it was an emergency situation, was out of the loop on that whole thing. Uh, they went right from the labor room to the ICU to the OR and all these kind of things. And after the child died, the father was given the opportunity, would you like to come in and hold the baby? He declined. Uh, thinking, no, if it's, if it's not a living child, I don't want to hold it. I, that would just, uh, he didn't want to do it, uh, mainly out of fear. Right. In retrospect, afterwards, he thought, you know, I probably didn't make the right decision at that time, but then that moment is lost. So that's what I'm saying about the people right. surrounding. You know, uh, it takes a lot of courage to go in and do something like that, you know, to hold a baby unless you've got a lot of support. Um, you know, uh, my son, when he was killed, um, he was fairly badly burned. And 
and we wanted to see him, and uh, we were encouraged to do it, and I'm very glad I did, but I had to have a friend who believed in doing that support me in doing it. So, you know, for all of you out there who didn't hold the baby or see the person, it, it's hard. It's hard. It's scary. It's, you know, you really question whether you should do that, and, you know, whether you should remember them the way they were. So, um, you know, you know, it is what it is, and if you didn't do it, I would forgive myself for not doing it. Well, that that's another excellent point because some of the people listening to this program are going to say, "Well, like, yeah, I should have done that and I didn't. So what do I do now?" Mm-hmm. And in my own practice of grief counseling, this is often one of the topics that will come up. What, what do I do about the things I didn't do? Uh, and part of what's going on in that in that holding process or viewing process, if you will, is that you're you're claiming what's happened. You're claiming your loved one, whether they're living or deceased, and uh, acknowledging that they're part of you. Uh, and then you're also saying goodbye. And sometimes people don't want to have the encounter of claiming because they don't really want to have to do the goodbye. Right. And that's something that's going to come into play afterwards, as in the father that I was talking about. Because being able to say goodbye is one of those uh, adaptive factors that ultimately helps people uh, uh, cope better. And what would you tell him to do now for those people out there who didn't hold the baby or didn't? How, are there some ways that I can say goodbye now? Uh, absolutely. There's many, many symbolic ways that that can be done. Um, and I'm often encouraging people to do this. It could be something as simple as having a conversation with somebody who either knew about the situation or who would be a receptive listener and going back and doing a narrative claiming of what happened. And in the process, then saying out loud words of goodbye and leave-taking, uh, that, that can be done in, in the confidence of a friendship. Uh, sometimes people do this in symbolic ways. They, uh, If there were remains, they sometimes go to the cemetery uh, and have a conversation there, a one-way conversation with the loved one directly. Uh, Sometimes they do it in symbolic ways where they uh, uh, release balloons, release doves, uh, do things that they didn't do maybe at the time as a way of trying to recapture that opportunity. Right. You know, um, I was in the family therapy business uh, at one time, and one of the things that we used to do is have people write notes. Uh, The family would write notes, and then they would burn them and uh, use them as ash to plant a rose bush or, you know, some kind of a tree. Right. Beautiful symbolism in that and very important, a very important ritual. Uh, So, and there's no limit to the creativity that a person can put. Absolutely. And if you look at your own religious community and what you're involved with there, and it's never too late either. I mean, if you really want to do it 20 years later, you'd find people that would be interested in coming together and writing memories, happy memories. And maybe um, because the new year's coming up, um, New Year's recollections. Uh, you can ask people to get together and write their New Year's things. So it's always a possibility. Well, with the New Year coming up, uh, if just in general, I'm a grieving person um, and Christmas is over and Hanukkah and the holidays, whatever I celebrate, and I'm into the New Year, do you have any suggestions for me for this coming year? Well, uh, I think that's an excellent point because uh, there's a lot of uh, energy that goes into our uh, holiday observances. 
there's a lot of emphasis on being happy and joyful, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but there are people out there for whom this may not be that kind of, uh, they may not have that kind of feeling at this part of the year. And so I think the first thing is uh, being permissive with self. Uh, defy, if you will, some of what uh, the ambient culture may be telling you is what's supposed to be going on right now. Um, and it's also okay to have a mixture of feelings. Uh, uh, if you are newly bereaved or this is a, a kind of bringing you into uh, anniversary thoughts, revisiting of what you've lost, that doesn't mean you can't have some of the feelings of uh, joy that go along with the uh, season. Um, but you also have other feelings that need to be acknowledged and honored as well. So uh, the permissiveness, I think, is very important. Um, That's great. This is well, also a time of... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just well, going to... also a time... <laughs> yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> All right. You go ahead. Well, it, it, it's a time of reflection. Um, part, part of the messages, again, that we get from the general culture at the new year is it's time to take stock. Um, we're, we're turning over a new, a new year. Uh, it's a, a fresh time. Well, uh, people can see where they are in their lives, uh, maybe do uh, goal setting, evaluate things. And often out of that come, comes uh, the impulse that I'd like it to be better or I'd like it to be different. And how might I operationalize that and, and make it concrete in, the, in terms of specific goals or ideas about what I'm going to do in the new year? Right. Well, uh, give us your book again and tell us where we can get it. Do you have a website? My, I don't have my own website. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the, the book is called When Your Baby Dies Through Miscarriage or Stillbirth. And you can get it through Amazon? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those. I'm not sure I'm supposed to mention those on the air. Oh, but no, yes, that's fine. Any of, the, any of the online sellers have this. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's great. And thank you for all the work you're doing to help people. And uh, it's been wonderful having you on. And we'll look forward to seeing you at ADAC uh, next spring. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Lewis. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Open to Hope show with Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi. Well, Heidi, a great show. Uh, Lewis is doing a lot for the world, isn't he? He is, and he's talking about a topic that I think is not talked about enough, and he's acknowledging and validating the fact that if you have a baby that's born and it only lives for a few hours or a few days or it's a miscarriage, it's still a valid and very important loss to people. Well, thanks. So for I love it. He's bringing that to the awareness of the public. I do, too. Well, thanks a lot for listening today. I'm Dr. Gloria with my co-host, Dr. Heidi. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.